Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On The Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1-800-795-9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On The Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings, welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show On The Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe's got the day off. He's resting his voice. He said he could come in if he had to. <laughs> it's a volunteer job after retirement is if you have to. But I said, well, no, go ahead and rest up. We'll text uh, Ben and John early in the morning. And John seemed the most eager beaver. So you get the call. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mark. John Shipman here. Good Sunbury we resident. Joe well. Well, yeah, he's just a, he's a little bit hoarse. I said he said his cold was over the weekend. Of course, the first thing I asked him, what, he tested negative for COVID. So that was there. But, uh, yeah, so he's on the men. So he has the day off. And and uh, you came in, so uh, thank you so much for coming. You don't need to wear a tie in here, but it always helps, but thank you. I'm on my way to the office. How <laughs> oh, are you? Good for, good for you. Uh, where's the office for you? Which location? 519 North Durr Drive in Lewisburg. Okay, fabulous. And the name of the business is? Uh, John Shipman Insurance. Okay, so you're keeping that going. Well, good for you. Well, you're such a good, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, insurance slash investment slash, you know, sort of business Advisors are still in demand, no surprise there. And you've been associated with a half a dozen different companies over the years, most of whom continue to thrive and do well uh, without your consulting staying on board permanently. So, uh, boy, I'm just glad you got time to stop by on the way to office. And I'm glad you wear a tie to work. I even had a chance to put a tie on today, and I said no. So (laughs) this shirt calls for one, but I, I did not. So, all right, well, welcome on board. That's why John Shipman is here, so we're always super glad to have have them on board. Of course, some of our Friday conversations I always uh, direct towards how can we glue our democracy back together again or our republic back together again, however you want to word it. And uh, uh, sometimes we talk about convention of states being something that we sure could use that is not dead. Uh, another state signed on recently. Did I hear uh, yeah, that Yeah, I think right? we're up to 19. And we have several other states that have passed one house, uh, but not the other house. So uh, I think there's 12 active states. Uh, where there's some activity. There's activity in Pennsylvania. It passed out one uh, the House committee. Um, it's stuck in the Senate, and uh, we just uh, we have a, we need two or three Republican senators or conservative senators to to stand up and vote yes, and they haven't done that yet. So um, we're still working on that. One of these Fridays you're here, you and I are going to have a conversation about majority rule. Where in the world is there a place where majority rules? Not in the U.S. No, it's not. Not in Pennsylvania. Actually, 63% a recent poll, uh, 63% of the public thinks that, that the Convention of States is a good idea. Almost 80% of Republicans think it's a good idea. And uh, let's see, majority rule. Let, what are some things that are popular that eggheads in government won't go for? Abortion rights, 
uh, conservative courts are taking that away. The public favors abortion with limitations. So minority rule there. Is that a, right. an okay example? 60%, just over 60% believe that that abortion should be legal. Over 70% believe that there should be limit, it should be limited to the first 15 weeks. So yes, uh, the, see, the, 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 the public is somewhere in the middle between the extremes. We have the extreme uh, liberal, let's say, you know, right up to the moment of birth, and we have uh, the other extreme that says no, not at all, or only in the event of the life of the mother, but the public's in the middle uh, right. on the issue. Legalized marijuana. Our minority <laughs> committee leaders in Harrisburg say no, even though most people say, well, recreational marijuana uh, should be at least regulated and taxed, but available if consenting adults want it. Um, community college. How about this? We talked to Lanier Alam on our Sunrise show this morning, and I uh, was startled, to really. I didn't realize how widespread the support is, 90-some percent of people around here say they support the idea of a new community college. 80-some percent, I don't have the number precise, say they would even be willing to pay, I think it's like a buck a week or a buck a month or something like that for this. Yeah, it's it's uh, $14 a year, so it's a little okay. over a dollar a month. Okay. And yeah, it's it, 80, over 80 percent, 84 percent. This is a dollar and a half a day. I know. Okay, my coffee. A cup. So <laughs> if you have three of them, it's four fifty. <laughs> so You know, when you look at it, uh, uh, when you think about how, how little the money costs, uh, the average person says, I think this is a great idea. I'll support it. Uh, we, we have, uh, obviously, people, some people who don't want competition in the area, but there's a real crying need for a community college. Uh, community college, you can get your first two years, get your associate degree, pay for it with a Pell Grant and a little bit of extra money, less than $1,000, and have your associate degree, transfer those credits, or take that associate degree and go to work in a trade uh, and not have any college debt. And yet we have the commissioners who say, no, it's not worth it. Uh, we don't see a need. Uh, well, they're street-level, I-don't-vote-for-tax-increase conservatives. Well, I think that's part of it. And listen, I was on city council for three terms, and no, and we raised taxes once or twice. Um, nobody likes to do that. Uh, we did it because we had a budget crunch. Uh, but within two or three years, we were able to turn that budget crunch around, and then we reduced taxes. So uh, you know, it's it's a uh, sometimes it's, there's a need, but the community college will help the people who need it the most. These are the people that, whose parents can't help, mm. who, who's, uh, uh, who, who are working already, maybe have a child uh, and uh, can't go full-time to college. Uh, these are the people that a community college helps the most. The average age of a community college student is like 27 years old. Okay, so, so not the 18-year or 17-year-old no, per se. Okay. This is the young person who got pregnant and has a child, is working a dead-end job, and says, you know what? If I don't get some education, I'm going to be in this dead-end job all my life. Well, the busiest of the existing community colleges that serve this area, area, the biggest single class is 
accounting. These are eggheads like me working in a business saying, okay, I can do what I need to do, sales, or in my case, announcing and news, but I would just love to know more about the dollar signs, and they're taking accounting classes. Yeah. This this would be the heart of a community college. Okay, so uh, the, the reason we got into that subset of facts is there is a summit this week, uh, this Friday, from 9 to 4 at Susquehanna University, put on newcommunitycollege.org. We want folks to be aware of that. But again, the filing cabinet that all this came from is the majority rules cabinet, which is not the case in the U.S. Well, and you could probably even say that about the Electoral College. You seem like a guy that thinks the Electoral College should stay in place. Lots of folks say no, but that's not majority rule. It's really just the opposite. It's kind of like a proportionate population thing. Well, that is a compromise uh, because you had, when the convention uh, uh, the, when the Constitutional Convention met, you had you had three states that could dominate the other ten: okay. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Okay, and those states would have dominated everything. Well, we have the same situation today. We have three states: we have New York, Illinois, and California that would dominate everything. Okay, so this so, gives us a voice. You now, the people who want to get rid of it are the people on the left who realize if they can get rid of it, uh, that the, the little states won't have any option because <laughs> the little states aren't, you know, aren't going to have a, a, a voice. Well, there'd be no Republicans <laughs> anywhere in the world if it was if it weren't for the Electoral College. So, yeah, we can have that debate. But yeah, let's not uh, say that majority rules anything. Maybe on a city council, but that's the only place. All right. Well, we are going to open up our phones. John Shipman is here. So gracious to come in. On uh, about 90 minutes notice, so we really appreciate that. On the mark, sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Check them out at sunburymotors.com. Toll-free line is open. Call us 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemarketwkok.com or text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. Let's do what we always say we will promise to do, and that's go to the phones for an open phones caller. Eric, you're on the mark. Thank you so much for calling in. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, John. Welcome to the show. We Thank wish you. Joe uh, a steady and speedy recovery. Um, so, just because um, three states could possibly dominate because they have larger populations, the United States of America, um, we have to make special rules so that the majority can't rule. So what happened to one man, one vote? Well, we don't have a democracy. We have a republic. Uh, the United States uh, founders, in their wisdom, understood that er, that uh, if you are, if you have a situation where it's a democracy, one vote, you know, count, that certain areas would dominate politics forever. And so, in their wisdom, and I'm not. I'm just saying that what we have, this is what we have, uh, and this is what the founders, the only way that they could get the United States to, into existence, because you had 10 states that would have never had agreed, would never have agreed to let the other three dominate. So uh, we have this because they felt that, that uh, having a, a, a national government was more important than uh, allowing uh, two or three. 
states to, to, to dominate. Keep in mind that when the Constitution was first uh, approved, you had to be white, you had to be male, you had to be a property owner in order to vote. Okay, so we've made a lot of progress over the years. You don't have to be white, you don't have to be male, and you don't have to be a property owner to vote. Every citizen can vote, and I think every citizen should be able to vote and should vote. On the other hand, if they choose not to, that's their choice. But you make a good point. Uh, I'm just saying this is a system we have, and uh, I'm not sure that we could ever agree on a new system. Oh, I think we probably could. And, and then you wonder why a lot of people in some of these states, like California, like uh, I think you said Illinois, and was it New York, the third one? Yeah. Uh, don't vote, you know? Because they know, hey, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, why should I vote if it doesn't matter? That sends a, a very bad message, doesn't it? I, I um, and, and we do have the ability, again, for representation. That's why we have our House of Representatives, uh, which is by population. We have the Senate, which is two for every state. So that these huge big states like California, Illinois, and New York only get two. But little states, very conservative states like Wyoming, all right? Two Republicans, always, always, always red, and so forth for checks and balances. But what's happened is there's been such a, a divide in our politics that whoever becomes president of the United States and has been demonstrated by our previous president can then co-opt one of the, one of the uh, legs of the stool, and that's just the Supreme Court. And hence we have a situation where the Supreme Court, uh, nominated by several very conservative, very conservative folks, has overturned what the majority rule, what the, the majority had thought was well and good as Roe versus Wade. And it goes back to the fact that, again, um, the, the President of the United States is not the one who is elected by the majority vote. It's by this uh, archaic electoral college. And I would say if it was just the presidency, okay, we can look at that. But we now know how much this is going to affect, it continues to affect the, um, the Supreme Court which, again, is one-third of, of our, our checks and balances. And now we have a situation where, because of very conservative court, we've overturned something that was in place for, what, 40, almost 50 years? 50 years. Uh, a woman's right to uh, decide about her own body. All right, and that Eric, is the problem, John. Eric, let okay, me... Well, let, let's, let me let's, hold on, Eric. Or John, okay. Eric, I'm going to say goodbye. we got four callers you guys, waiting. I appreciate it, John. Yep. Welcome. Thanks I appreciate your you talking to So we'll let John respond. A lot, lot to unpack there. What we forget is that from 19, the late 1940s until recently, the court was a majority liberal court. And nobody complained about it when it was a majority liberal court. And well, they, they were making the right decision. Well, yeah. Okay, Mark. But most people, the majority didn't agree with that. The majority did not agree with Roe v. Wade. The majority did not agree with the decision in 1963 or 1962 to take, take prayer and Bible reading out of the public school. So those, neither one of those those uh, decisions, when they were made, were were approved by the majority. So to say just that this just happened now. This has been going on since the since the republic was formed. 
Well, a lot of people said that monitored constitutional things that are real eggheads about this stuff say it should have never been decided that way in the first place. It should have been a state's thing all along. Well, and the problem we I've stated before, every branch of the federal government has overstepped its, its constitutional authority. The legislature has. The president now rules by edict, just like Putin does in Russia. Our president, our president has issued hundreds of executive orders, which cost us so far $1.5 trillion, which isn't even included in the budget deficit. And now he's going to do another half a trillion dollars in student debt transfer. And that's going to be $2 trillion of executive orders. And the Supreme Court has made decisions that it shouldn't make based on the Constitution. So, you know, uh, we need a convention of states. (laughs) (laughs) And that's only going to help. A lot of this shenanigans are going to continue. All right, Jim, stand by. Stand and Mike, hold on. i got to take the breaks. I'm going to hit the button. We'll be back ASAP. We'll limit folks to just a couple of minutes each, but everybody will get their open mic. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. He can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Welcome back to the Daily Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence, and John Shipman's our good co-host today. We've got callers standing by. We'll start out with Jim from Ashland, PA. Our good Schuylkill County caller is back. Thank you, sir. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. Um, the uh, I, I, okay. If we don't, if we have people who don't follow the Constitution now, how will changing it make them follow it? I, th- I think you're what what uh, the convention is taking. I mean that the, the, the Democrat <laughs> Party doesn't follow the Constitution now. So having a convention of states and changing the Constitution will automatically make them follow it. That's insane. <laughs> no, Let's I, hold I, them accountable to what we have already. But that's not why I called. I wanted to call about Saturday's um, our local Maca rapper. Uh, the Department of State, which I'm not sure who that is, uh, allowed Ryan Mock, a, uh, a mama's boy, to uh, sit in his basement and do nothing. I froze my buns off getting <laughs> signatures for Joanne Stir. He didn't get one signature. He did nothing to get on the ballot. And now he's on the ballot just because, oh, I think everybody should have an opponent. And there's no outroar from the... Uh, the Republican Party. What is the? If they can uh, do this, then I'm sorry. What? Who controls the Department of State? I don't. Well, the, obviously the Democrat Party. Right, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> I rest my case. So you're free to go. So, uh, <laughs> well, anyway, the, really quick. If they can do this, then every Republican from now on who doesn't have an opponent should have one assigned. 
and see where this is going. I mean, this could be. This is a bad thing. It should be fought vociferously. Well, this I can't very, say it enough. My understanding is this is very complicated. John, you want to weigh in on this? This is the Ryan Mock, Joanne Sturr uh, issue on the Democratic side of the 107th district balance. Well, you know, I I do agree that uh, we have a process uh, to gain to get signatures. You have to have sufficient signatures to be on the ballot for the primary, and then if you uh, are the winner of your of your party's primary, then you move on to the general election, and that's the way things are, are supposed to work. Uh, the problem is that, that we have a we have in the last 10 or 12, 15 years, uh, have a way of, of not looking at the rules or uh, disregarding the rules. Uh, our last Pennsylvania election, they made changes at the last minute that were never made before in the history of the state of Pennsylvania. And then the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, oh, it's all right. Well, I don't. I disagree with that. Uh, they, the, the, the decisions that were made were made in, in a direct opposition to the Constitution of Pennsylvania, and they mm-hmm. should—they should not have stood. They should have been thrown out. But when you have one party that controls the the the, the, the government and also c- controls the Supreme Court, they can pretty well do what they want. All right, Jim, we'll give you the last word. Go right ahead. Well, you're absolutely right, and we need to fight this because it's wrong. It's just wrong. I would say the same if it was on the other, the shoe was on the other foot. Right, it's you, wrong. It needs to be stopped. Have you, a good day. Yeah, thank you. You need a Republican governor, and, and that seems somewhat less likely today than it did when the gubernatorial campaign started out. So, yeah, you wonder. Elections have consequences, and these are some of those. But the Commonwealth Court is supposed to least lead re- lean Republican, correct? Is in my but it's the Supreme Court that's five. To, right, five but that, to, they're well, the decider. Now because uh, the, in, the in this case. chief judge passed away, which is unfortunate. He, he was going to retire at the end of December. That, you that's know, when tough. you get within three months of retirement and, and pass away, that's... Well, that's, I mean, it, was, it was a super guy. Participated yeah. in panel discussions. Mm-hmm. You know if I've interviewed a Supreme Court judge, it's, there's a person's available. So, all right, Stan, you're on the mark. Thanks for calling in. Jim was 100% correct. So, what do we do about it? When <clears throat> when our government officials violate the Constitution, there is never a penalty for them, other than they're told, stop that. But there's no penalty for it. So I will agree. There needs to be penalties for violating the Constitution. But until that happens, and, you know, the Convention of State, I guess, could set that up, right? Right, John? Yeah, that, that's one of the things that, to limit the, the power of the federal government, to limit the cost of the federal government, and to put term limits on, on uh, senators and, and uh, congresspeople. That's the three yeah, issues. Yeah, but... So they will, but they there's will no penalty that. for violating the Constitution. <clears throat> well, and I agree that, that there, there, there should be, and the courts are supposed to be uh, monitoring that. But we know what happens. Uh, the president that's in uh, picks either the most liberal. Right, right now, that the, the, the new Supreme Court justice we have is probably one of the most liberal uh, that has ever been nominated. Uh, the previous president nominated very conservative justices, and you know it was a time when ju- most of the justices were were sort of moderate. But uh, the last three presidents have have chosen. Uh, uh, candidates that are on the extreme, and when you have candidates in the extreme, you get decisions that are in the extreme. Okay. 
but that's that's not why I called. But that's you know <laughs> that's neither here nor there because I know that won't change as far as penny. I called Mark. You sent me that uh, email about uh, the Bucknell's solar array that they put up and they're going to dedicate this week. Yep. Uh, and I don't know how much information you have on that, but reading their press release that you sent me, you know they're getting going to get seven percent of their electric usage from this solar array. They're going to dump it back into the grid, and and it's on seven acres. So to get a hundred percent, now if you extrapolate that out, a hundred percent of their energy from renewable, they have to have a hundred acres, correct? More you're, or less. You're doing, the, ex- you're doing the exact now, same thing. Five hundred and twelve thousand people did when they saw that release. How much land would you have to give up in order to get all of your electricity that way? Well, well, that's 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 neither here nor there, neither. Because I can tell you right now, this past weekend, my solar the so I do have a solar array, okay. No, I haven't gotten half of the energy I get when it's a bright, sunny day. Not even half. It's probably more like a third of the output that I would get on a bright, sunny day. So, there, you know, it's it's okay to have solar. I have no problem with it. But to 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 bank on that, you're going to get enough energy to supply when the sun don't shine. You know, for everybody to use is just it, it can't happen. It just can't happen. Europe, Europe. The sun don't shine, we get no energy. You're right, and Europe is finding that out the hard way. You know, Europe has virtually abandoned all fossil fuel. Of course, they've changed their mind on a few now, but they're already telling their people that you're going to be cold this winter. You have to turn your the thermostat down to 60 degrees. Uh, you might not be able to cook your food. So, uh, you know, when, when, when renewable energy is efficient, it will it will automatically become the dominant energy. Uh, the United States and, and capitalist societies, the, the most efficient always wins out. And uh, automobiles won out over horses because they were more efficient and so on. So, you know, the time will come, but it's not yet. All right, Stan? Yep, that's true. Call back if you got more to say. We're at the top of the hour, but thank you so much for always being a great participant. All right, have a good one. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Really appreciate it. Mike, we're going to ask you to call back, too. Uh, we're going to have uh, Stephen Portnoy on right at the uh, top of the hour, 9.06, and then I'll probably run through headlines, and then we'll open up the phones again. We're having a great conversation. Join in. This is WKOK Sunbury. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1-800-795-9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here's your host for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence. Greetings. Welcome back to KOK Live Telephone Talk Show On the Mark. Uh, Joe McGranahan has the day off. John Shipman, who two hours ago didn't know he'd get an invite to come up here today. Uh, but uh, 90 minutes ago, we texted him and he said, absolutely. So here he is, good conservative, comes to visit us occasionally on Fridays. Pleasure Welcome to be here, Mark. Thanks for being here. Joe McGranahan's voice uh, kind of given out a little bit, so he wanted to rest it today. So that's what's happening there. Uh, we get the rare opportunity here at WKOK to interview some of the folks who work for CBS News. So we're going to talk to an Orangeman here, a Robert or an SI Newhouse School of Public Communications graduate from Syracuse University. Did his internship underneath the World News uh, headquarters at ABC with Peter Jennings. Now works for CBS for a decade and a half. And he is Stephen Portnoy. So Stephen, thank you so much for making yourself available at all and for checking in this morning. Good morning to you. Thanks. 
Very much appreciated. Let's talk about the president uh, going to Puerto Rico t- yesterday and the uh, going to Florida tomorrow. When did presidents start to really politicize disaster response that their participation in words and activities really started to make a big difference? Well, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I'm covering the uh, federal response to national Hurricane Katrina about 17 years ago. And that, my memory, was the first time that a president's response to a disaster became a political liability for George W. Bush, when uh, the suggestion was that he wasn't directly and hands on and didn't, uh, you know, remember he flew over some of the damage in Air Force One, uh, and, and the takeaway was that he, he wasn't directly involved. He said that uh, his FEMA director had done a job. Clearly, uh, the response from the state and federal government was lacking in New Orleans. Since then, residents have realized that a key part of their role as comforter-in-chief is to travel to the scenes of natural disasters and demonstrate that the federal response is robust and enduring. And that's part of what uh, we saw yesterday from President Biden when he went to Ponce, the coast of the island which was hardest hit by Hurricane Fiona, not the hurricane that hit Florida last week, but Hurricane Fiona, which actually struck last month, uh, wiped out the entire island's uh, you know, electrical infrastructure and uh, did undid a lot of the recovery done Hurricane Rhea five years ago. President Biden yesterday promised that federal disaster aid will flow faster in the aftermath of this most recent storm's past. He acknowledged the fact that uh, there will be additional hurricanes to hit Puerto Rico, and uh, there's no hiding that. What he says is that the uh, uh, rebuilding now has to be done in a smarter way to build and, uh, you know, resiliency terms to use to describe how essentially uh, communities can adapt to and prepare for the next storms. Okay, we're going to hang up with you for a moment. We have a little glitch on the line at our end, so we're going to hang up and dial you right back. So uh, hold on. We're buzzing you right back, Stephen. So thank you so much for your answer, but we're going to follow up in a moment. Our good producer is going to dial up that uh, number again, and uh, I'm going to ask my good co-host while she does that, this idea of uh, your recollection of when presidents in particular said, i got to go there, be be part of this response. Well, I, th- I think that presidents have visited uh, uh, through my lifetime to, to things. Um, I think that uh, uh, George Bush, of course, uh, uh, Hurricane Sandy was uh, uh, just about six weeks before the election. He already knew that Barack Obama uh, was going to win the, the election. Um, and uh, uh, he had already been through 9-11 and, and uh, some, a, a few other disasters. I think he was worn out. Uh, it, he did fly over it. Uh, uh, I think that Chris Christie was a little disappointed that he didn't actually come to New Jersey. And uh, uh, so uh, I don't know if that was political or if he was just uh, at the point of being exhausted after eight years of, of uh, what he went through. Uh, I don't recall any president calling mayors and, count, and, and county officials before he called the governor uh, like this president did. I think that uh, uh, Barack Obama called governors. Uh, uh, Donald Trump called governors first. So uh, I, I don't recall any president 
talking to local politicians first. All right, Stephen, we got you back on the news line. Thank you so much for that analysis. Is is it that political that there's vo- how many votes are at stake here if a president doesn't do just the right thing when it comes to a disaster response? Well, I don't know that it necessarily imperils a president's electoral hopes, although we can't uh, you know, separate the fact that we're five weeks away from a midterm election. That's true. Um, but I think that it's part of the overall story of the presidency. And it also uh, helps to affect the image in the public's mind of the effectiveness of the federal government when it comes to responding to a, a natural or man-made disaster. And you could think of various incidents over the last several years where the federal government was expected to take an outsized role and step up and deal with some of these uh, emergencies that are beyond the grasp of local officials. And so for that reason, a lot of pressure is put on Congress to fund the response, and uh, perhaps outsized pressure is put on a sitting president to demonstrate on behalf of the entire country that the federal government and the whole of America are behind the local officials and the local people who are affected by the incident so that everyone in the country can take some amount of faith in the idea that the federal government, that the United States of America is positioned to handle some of these unforeseen circumstances. Okay, John. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you make a good point, and uh, I think that uh, uh, perception is reality. And uh, when the president is out there uh, on the ground uh, looking at the damage and talking to the governor and other elected officials, uh, mayors, and so forth, it gives us uh, some reassurance to the people that, that the government actually does care and that uh, help is coming. Well, right. And, and listen, the other thing is, and I think, um, you know, we talk about the federal responsibility because you know, I cover the president, but the truth is, in every single, almost every single one of these circumstances that I'm referring to, it's the local leaders who are primarily responsible. They are the ones who uh, have the police power. They're the ones who uh, establish the evacuation orders. They're the ones who are uh, directly in touch with the uh, community. And so when the federal government does come in, it's sort of in an assistive capacity. And also the things that the federal government is uniquely positioned to offer. For example, uh, flood insurance assistance uh, for people who didn't even realize they needed flood insurance because they don't live in a floodplain and all of a sudden their house is damaged. And what, what can uh, the federal government do for them? And there's uh, something just shy of $40,000 per household that can be uh, granted to individuals who might need some help cleaning out. Uh, there is the uh, temporary housing assistance that FEMA provides for people who have lost shelter. There, of course, in the immediate circumstance, is the assistance of food and water that FEMA and uh, Defense Department entities provide. And there is the search and rescue operation that's currently underway right now. And this is the grimmest task of all, going from property to property to search and see whether anyone didn't make it through the storm and to mark each of the condemned properties with spray paint so that uh, it has been established that a particular house has been checked by the search and rescue teams that are going through. And if there are uh, remains left behind, there's the disaster mortuary assistance teams that come in to take care of that. So there is a robust response, and it, it doesn't just involve federal assets, but also state assets. And this is one of the emo- uh, remarkable things about this process, particularly when it comes to search and rescue. You have uh, re- uh, rescue teams from states such as Pennsylvania, and Virginia and a whole bunch of other places that actually are are federalized and go down to uh, disaster zones, not just in the United States, but also all over the the world, 
to assist in that process. Do you have time for one more question, or I, if I don't, I forget what your time frame is. Sure, one more question. Okay, oh, is there a national discussion underway? How much does the federal government want to continue pouring into people who place themselves in harm's way and keep bailing them out? Is that starting to trickle into an actual national conversation at the White House or in Washington? No, uh, and that's where it gets to you know some of this the the, the question of politics, right? Uh, you know, we can't deny the idea, the fact that, you know, the particular instant circumstance the president himself is going to visit tomorrow is in the state of Florida. Well, that's a pretty important state for any politician. Uh, and so the idea of writing those people off and saying, well, that's what you get for living by the ocean, that's not something that I think you're going to see a national leader say. <laughs> He's not going to say um, that tomorrow. <laughs> right. No, I, I, would, I would imagine he won't say that. But uh, <laughs> look, the, the, the fact is, the, the, the private market speaks in this regard, and this is also part of the problem that people expect the federal government to solve, or at least have a, have a, have a hand in, and that is uh, the question of the private insurance market. It's getting harder and harder for the people who own property in those shore towns to get them insured. And why? Because the insurance companies seem to have figured it out. And so the question is, what responsibility do the state and federal governments have to uh, facilitate the continued resilience of those communities from an economic standpoint, never mind a you know, structural standpoint. And that is part of the conversation, but there is no easy answer to it. All right. Well, thank you so much for your insights and the information, the timely uh, details. We very much appreciate uh, you making yourself available. Thank you, sir. You bet. That is uh, Stephen Portnoy, CBS White House correspondent, spent uh, four years with the Trump administration in the second row. You would see him at the press briefings asking questions, and uh, he's a CBS reporter. I'm going to do news headlines right now, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll open up the phones. If you want to dial us up, now's the time to call, 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemark at wkok.com, and you can text us at 70236, include the keyword word OTM. We do have some emails uh, that have accumulated, so we'll try to read some of those momentarily here. Mike was waiting when we hit the top of the hour, so Mike, if you want to call back now. Uh, earlier today, we talked about a tiny bit about conventions of states, which put me into the realm of minority rule, which is what we have in the U.S., where either Agedz in Washington or Harrisburg uh, get to do all the deciding and all the rest of us be damned, and so we can talk about that. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Susquehanna of LA Community Education Project. I think that's a majority uh, be damned uh, situation, too. Their county commissioners aren't following in lockstep the will of people. Uh, but uh, And we also talked about the U.S. Supreme Court and history with the Stephen Portnoy, this idea of politicizing disasters. And uh, yeah, the president is going to do nothing but have encouraging remarks tomorrow. Will he meet with DeSantis at the same time on camera? I expect he will. Okay. Uh, it would be very unusual if he doesn't. Okay. Um, so uh, I, I would expect that uh, in, in a disaster of this magnitude, the two will put politics aside and uh, play nice for a day and uh, let the American people know that, that, that the government is there to, to try to help. So I, I think it'll be a, a, a fairly uh, uh, easy conversation tomorrow. I predict that after they are photographed next to each other, uh, somebody will circulate. 
circulate a photograph on social media that says uh, our current president and our next president. It's rare that you get this many presidents in the same photo, so that could very well happen. All right, 1-800-795-9565 is the open phone. Go ahead and populate that while I read some headlines. State police say they've arrested a man on hundreds of child sexual abuse charges. 72-year-old Robert Taylor of Mount Carmel, 300 felony counts of sexual abuse of children and the actual sexual abuse and rape of one child. Pornography charges uh, part of that. You can read the full details at WKOK.com, although I wouldn't actually advise it. $150,000 bail on one set of charges and $100,000 on another. Pennsylvania's budget continues to show strength as we go through the fiscal year. Our correspondent Mark Sims is following revenues coming into Pennsylvania. He says that the state's been in the pink for a while since the federal government buyouts, and uh, that is continuing in Harrisburg. The Department of Revenue says the state collected $4.2 billion in general fund revenue in September, 3.3% more than expected for the fiscal year, which began July 1st. The state has collected a total of $9.8 billion in revenue, which is 2% above estimate. While corporation tax revenue was more than anticipated, sales tax receipts and revenue from the personal income tax, inheritance tax, and realty transfer tax was down last month. Mark Sims, News Radio 1070 WKOK. In Pennsylvania, gasoline prices are going down, but nationally they're going up. Prices at the pump have gone up nationally for two consecutive weeks, this time 11 cents nationally, but locally, or at least in Pennsylvania on average, gasoline prices continue to fall down 3 cents a gallon in the last week. That's according to GasBuddy.com. And former President Donald Trump is suing CNN for defamation and asking for compensatory damages in excess of $75,000 and punitive damages of $475,000, according to a lawsuit filed Monday. He's claiming that the cable news giant has harmed his reputation with false, defamatory, and inflammatory mischaracterizations of him and that CNN's conduct is intended to interfere with his political career. In particular, President Trump argues that he's entitled to hundreds of millions of dollars in punitive damages because of CNN's use of the term big lie to describe President Trump's stated concerns about the integrity of the electoral <coughs> process in 2020. Trump's lawyers say the big lie is a direct reference to a tactic employed by Adolf Hitler and appears in Mein Kampf. The more you repeat the same thing over and over, eventually people believe it. All right, so what's your view on those news topics? If you wish to weigh in, particularly about President Trump suing CNN, uh, what's your opinion about that? We also talked about Convention of States and uh, Susquehanna Valley Community Education Project. We do have some emails, so we'll ask for more of those sent to on the market WKOK.com. You can text us at 70236, include the keyword OTM, and you can call us now, one 800 795 there's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could chop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. 
If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sometimes the comedy for our show just writes itself. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't even have to do anything. Uh, well, we're going to talk about FEMA, but one of our good listeners sent us a text. Now, we're going to read that in a moment, and that's going to launch us into what we're, I'm chuckling about. One of our good listeners says, if you're talking about majority rule, uh, Eric, uh, to Eric, Harry Reid, of course, the f- famous Democratic senator f- from... Utah. Utah, okay. Uh, said uh, the he blew the whole thing up. If it weren't for him, we'd have a 60-vote threshold for appointments. So Absolutely. The, you know, the, 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 the filibuster was there for a reason. Uh, the Senate has always been viewed as the more rational of the two uh, uh, houses. And... It really had to be the will of the public in order to get passed because you needed 60 to, to make an appointment. You needed 60 to move a, a bill onto the floor of the Senate and two-thirds, 66 uh, percent. So uh, those were things designed to slow down the political process so that uh, everybody's voice got heard. Once you threw that out, uh, and of course, so then Donald Trump said, well, you know, if we're going to do it for that, we might as well. But uh, it's, it's, it was a useful tool to slow down radical legislation, uh, and it's gone. Okay, so thank you for the email. One of our good listeners says, I was just listening to your CBS News, and Debbie Rodriguez, surprise, surprise, she can't get by one reporting opportunity without attaching Donald Trump to something. I think she's very biased in her reporting. So we appreciate that. Another listener says, President Biden... Was raised in Puerto was raised Puerto Rican in Delaware. That's a new unknown revelation put out by President Biden. I guess that's where he met Corn Pop. And another, uh, well, okay, so that's that. So I looked. I actually hadn't heard that yet. But yes, President Biden yesterday said, "quote We have a very large Puerto Rican population in Delaware." He said, "I was sort of raised in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. We came here, meaning Puerto Rico." he was speaking for a long time as part of both business and pleasure I'm committed to this island wow who knew I just think it's amazing how if he's talking working class Democrats he's from Scranton but if he's in Puerto Rico and he's pandering I mean if he's uh, helping with disaster (laughs) relief in Puerto Rico he was born in Puerto Rican Delaware but let's be fair most politicians do that kind of nonsense you know it's like well, yeah, that's true. He didn't invent <laughs> being politically shallow. That's for darn sure. One of our good listeners says Harry Reid was from Nevada. All right. So thank okay. You you're, yes, right. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, wow. And I don't even remember at all whatsoever. I knew it was West, but that's all I knew. Another good listener says, big news. North Korea launches missile over Japan. Wonder why they're being so provocative lately. Oh, that's right. They know. You know. I know it. Uh, President Biden is weak. And North Korea 
knows it. All right. So thank you for those texts. Much appreciated. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. I had an opportunity yesterday to go down to the Sunbury Motor Company and talk to Tony Hughes, who's one of the fellows in charge of procurement, making sure that the allocations for brand new vehicles that Sunbury Motor Company has for the (laughs) Fords, that they're in line and ready to do that. And he did. He had some good news and he said some bad news. The good news is about two dozen people are going to enjoy the Ford F-150 Lightning in their future, the electric truck. Joe's not one of them. <laughs> I signed him up for one, and he said they slid that allocation over to an what he called an actual customer. I, I was insulted, but I'm not actually going to dispute it. So Joe lost his Lightning yesterday, and it's off the train car, and it's actually on a truck truck coming this way, so that's good news. Uh, it, did I tell you that it waited so long in the train car that it had a recall while it was on the train car? <laughs> No, okay. Right? Yeah, because one of the chips was had a, a little one of the tabs was broken on it. So, they had a recall and guess how they fixed it? On the train. Oh my the way. fellas climbed up on the train, on the train, pulled the windshield cover off, popped the hood and um Wow. Picks, took care of a, like 80 trucks on the train that way, so that's pretty interesting. But anyway, now the truck is en route to Sunbury Motor Company and somebody else is going to buy it. A real customer. I'm still not over that reference, but that's another topic. Considering I drive their trucks all the time, and I own one, so... But anyway, okay. Sunbury Motor Company, Tony Hughes, uh, get in line behind him, because he'll get you squared away if you're going to order a vehicle. He did say that they have used up their allocations of lightning, so 2022 and 2023, the allocations are taken by people held up in in line uh, at the Sunbury Motor Company. Those are their allocations. And uh, Lawrence is worthless phrase, I'm going to say this, don't go to another Ford dealer, because they have fewer allocations, and they're bugged out, too, into 2025. So as we go through 2023, then go down and talk to Tony and say you want to get in line for the next generation, and they'll be all set to take care of you. Sunbury Motor Company, it's a family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street, Sunbury, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. Most other vehicles they can get. EcoSport's going to go away. That super-duper small compact is going to go away at the Sunbury Motor Company. Ford will still make them, but they say it just can't get them in. It's like the single most popular car in the world, and uh, they don't have enough allocation, so they're, they're going to disappear from the lot, except for the ones already ordered. And at the Sunbury Motor Company, John, if uh, this insurance and investment and uh, great business acumen that you've applied to your life uh, gives out, Sunbury Motor Company, entry-level technicians, you could work at the quick lane. You'd be a good customer service person, although you would talk to everybody for too long, probably. Heavy truck service, body frame and alignment are places where they're looking for experienced folks, too. they got some openings at the Sunbury Motor Company. Call us now, 1-800-795-9565. We will be right back. All right, welcome back to one of uh, welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. I have six thoughts in my head, so I'm just going to let them all go at the same time. All right, one eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five is our telephone number. Uh, one of our listeners said, uh, "Mark, you almost told the truth. You almost allowed the correct word to slip out: pandering." That's what President Biden and his handlers have perfected. Yeah, and I think that is a presidential thing, not just Biden. Other presidents go all over, and they get seen with. Democrats, if necessary, is am I right? Well, I think so. I, uh, you know, it's uh, as as president, uh, you almost have to to work with everybody, uh, and. Uh, used to be a thinking that uh, the president was uh, above politics, but we know that's not true. So, uh, uh, but uh, he has to work with everybody. Uh, he would, uh, he, he would 
generate tremendous amount of criticism, for instance, if he refused to work with some governors and, and did the others. We, we, uh, we all suspect that, that there's favoritism that goes on, but it, it's not good to have that in public. Another listener says, uh, Mark, be sure to let Joe know that last night uh, Joe's uh, electric vehicle has been reallocated, we're going to say. But anyway, uh, Mark, let Joe know that last night on Channel 16 News at 11 p.m., they said batteries on electric vehicles do not do well in cold weather. The batteries don't hold the same charge in as in warm weather, so he better not go too far with that jalopy you bought him. <laughs> well, I my truck is that I ordered for Joe's been reallocated to an actual customer. And That's you, true with all batteries. Too. Yeah, I have a really great flashlight. If I leave it in my truck overnight, the next morning it won't even turn on. Doesn't I have to work. take it in the house and let it warm up. So, uh, yeah, battery. Uh, uh, cold weather does affect batteries. All right. Uh, Dan's been waiting. Good morning, sir. You are on the mark. Thanks for calling in. Hey, good morning, Mark and John. Good talking with you. Morning, well, Dan morning. Well, just suppose that we went by county by county, like Pennsylvania has 67 counties. You know that the Democrats would never win, because you look at the map after the, I'm talking about presidential elections, you look at the map after a presidential election in the United States, I'm guessing 95% of counties vote red. You know, and how would that be right? According to Eric's theory, we let the cities rule. Suppose I say, let's let the counties rule <laughs> and have one delegate per county in the United States. The, the Dems would never win another election. How would that be fair? Right, so the electoral, electoral college was the least worst option, but was genius overall? Yeah, there was... Exactly. Yeah, you, you were not going to get ten states to give the other three states dominion. Okay, so how do you do that? You want to make a, a unified national government, but you have three states say, if you think we're going to let those three have the say all the time and we're just going to pay the bill and you guys are going to make all the decisions, that ain't going to happen. So they had, okay, how do we, how do we make this work? Uh, and so the, the uh, uh, things like the filibuster was in, uh, you know, things like the, the uh, uh, how the vote originally senators weren't even publicly elected. Uh, under the Constitution, uh, senators were appointed by the House of uh, the state house in each in each state. So if you had a Republican House, obviously they were going to they were going to uh, appoint two Republican senators. So uh, it wasn't until the early 1900s that that senators uh, were were uh, elected by popular vote in their state. So uh, when you're trying to put something like this together, and the disagreement is so strong that it's not going to happen, is it better to have a, a country uh, than 50 states or or is it better to go back and have 50 individual little states? And that's what happened. And it's still, you know, uh, if you if you 
would change that now, uh, I doubt you could do that because I don't think that you could get enough votes uh, in Congress even to, to change what we do the way we do it. Exactly, you know. And it, what I was saying there about county by county in each state, even New York State, is mostly red. When you go by counties, there's very few the metropolitan areas go blue, but even Illinois, any even Washington State, California, more counties vote red, going by each county than do the than any other vote. It's mostly red Republican vote. So, if you would have a different system by popular vote, my vote. In in Union County would never amount to anything because it, it was the three the big cities would win like Calif the cities and states California Washington Oregon Nevada New York all of them would always win whereas the rest of the country would they'd get a president who they never voted for it would never happen. The same way if I had if I went by the way I said county by county the Dems would never win another election unless they change your policies. So I think the electoral college is genius. <laughs> I don't know how they ever the guys that figured that out are be, be way beyond my intelligence. And right. I, I admire him for doing it. They were what? So I, rich, yeah. white, and older They were beyond men. my intelligence. I don't care if they were wh rich, white, black, green, purple. They were geniuses <laughs> yep, in they my it out. They were. They were. We, 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 we can be thankful. We had some intellectual giants uh, that were on that Constitutional Convention. Uh, not all of them, obviously, but every one of them was serious about uh, trying to make a workable situation so that their descendants would have peace and tranquility and prosperity. How many of the things that happen in the, con in the Constitution are significant compromises so that the whole thing didn't fall apart? Probably 75%. Okay. It's, it's a high number. In other words, uh, there were vicious arguments uh, to the point that, that uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin one morning said, gentlemen, we should start our meetings with prayer because this is unworkable. And so from that point on, for the rest of the convention, they started their, every morning with prayer. And Ben Franklin, of course, is a, supposedly a well-known atheist, but I'm not so sure if when you read his writings that he really was. But, uh, yeah, there were... I mean, it was really some knockout drag, you know, knockdown dragout arguments about how it should be, uh, and uh, finally, uh, after a lot of discussion and no votes and so forth, there's a lot of stuff left out that they said, "Oh, we this this is such a mm. strong problem that we're just gonna we're just gonna leave it go. We're leave not it gonna to the slave." And was slavery even <laughs> brought up? It was. Uh, and early in the in the convention, it was understood that that was a deal breaker, and so they uh, they Dropped really that. didn't. Yeah, yeah. So if you're wealthy, <laughs> landowning, white male, you can vote. You you can vote. This country's for you, baby. Everybody else. Dan, we'll give you the last word. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up about Benjamin Franklin, John. You know, 
I doubt whether there was any true atheist that founded this country. I don't, I don't, I'm like you, I don't think Ben Franklin was an atheist. They had a different view of scripture than I do, but they believed scripture, probably every one of them, some of them not as much as others, but they all respected the holy word of God. And I, I appreciate that in the founders, and that made the country that we have yet today, if we can hold on to it, <laughs> our republic, like Ben Franklin said. So, right. you guys have a great day. Hey, great thank you so much for checking day. in. 1-800-795-9565. Now we asked Stephen Portnoy about the evolution of uh, presidents going to disaster areas and being seen with Democrats if they're a Republican president or vice versa. Uh, your recollection, Daniel Flood and the Republicans, and you were flooded in 72. 1972, Agnes came through Pennsylvania and, of course, uh, most of the Northeast, and uh, there was no flood insurance. There was no... Uh, uh, FEMA was uh, the, uh, just a little department in Washington. And um, Dan Flood, who was the congressman from the Wilkes-Barre area, uh, wrote the, the national flood insurance law that was passed overwhelmingly in Congress so that people could, for the first time, buy flood insurance. And uh, so, uh, interestingly enough, homeowners policy doesn't cover flood, and flood insurance doesn't cover windstorm. So if you're in a flood territory and you want to be adequately protected, uh, you need both. And uh, there is some discussion. Uh, we had a discussion Friday. Uh, you know, if, if the house has been damaged three or four times uh, by flood water, uh, should uh, the, the government just tear them down. And, and Pennsylvania did some of that. Uh, a number of homes in Bloomsburg, a number of homes between... Sure, like Cumming County. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, but Dan Flood is the one that uh, that really uh, authored that legislation. My house was in uh, 14 feet of water in uh, Kingston, Pennsylvania. So that's quite a disaster when you... First, <laughs> when to you, the first floor ceiling? Uh, was up to the first floor ceiling. I have uh, the... The, the, the basement was half in and half out of the water, you know, the, or, the, or the ground. So, um, but it was right up to the ceiling. I had 10 foot, 10 foot ceilings in the first floor, and it was right up to the ceiling. All right. 1-800-795-9565. Yeah, they talked about this in Florida. A lot of the newbies, uh, or Jim Cursula told us, a lot of the folks, well, the biggest issue is that a lot of the people in Florida are new because they, they get a half a million new people every year, and they don't understand how strong a hurricane is. And they certainly have heard these good stories about people riding out the storm. So they say, okay, well, I'm going to be one of these tough Floridians. But he says when your house is under 12 feet of water, when your house is submerged, there's no waiting out the storm, <laughs> riding it out. So you got to be evacuated. All right, we got a good caller. Chris always checks in and gives us a great finding of fact, which for that we're quite grateful. Good morning, sir. You're on the mark. Well, to Dan, I would say Tom Paine, who is largely credited with getting the revolution against England popular. He was the key figure in it. He was an atheist, and he was responsible for for convincing the country to to the, the colonies to rebel against England. Okay. All right. And what else? 
and Texas and Florida somehow got left out of uh, the the equation there on large states. On the big five. Okay. Yes. Well, six. Illinois is six, so I don't know how that got in there at all. But well, the list is out of date, but uh, it now has to include Florida, of course. They're an up and comer, but uh, they were Florida always. and Texas are both growing in population, whereas Cal about three times the rate of California. Okay. And so there's that. Even though the totals uh, favor California by ten million, there about. Uh, they're, they're growing faster. And then you have New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, Georgia, North Carolina, Michigan, New Jersey, Virginia. So I don't see where that, that's a winning, winning uh, all the electoral states uh, would actually favor things more in ways the big states that because you win all of them even if it's a close election would would boost the uh, boost big states vote more than than uh, the population would indicate so a popular vote would be actually more democratic Okay. There's more Democrats in the U.S. What's the proportion of Democrats to Republicans in the U.S. anymore? I know it's not like it was. Well, they're all about uh, they're all about in the in the, the Democrats might be thirty and Republicans twenty five or something like that. I think, but I don't really know that off the top of my head. You mean millions of people or percentage or percentage? Okay. Yeah, there's slightly more registered Democrats than there are Republicans, uh, and I think yeah. pretty close, probably somewhere in in that uh, in that range. And a lot of them aren't either party because they have to do that to vote in primaries in a lot of states. Right, uh, have have influence in whatever, and they want to have influence in. Okay. So I don't and. And you're still limiting what your Constitution convention to to uh, to favor things favored by conservatives. Well, you know, my question is, uh, does anybody really believe that Washington's going to fix itself? And I think that I think that's a, probably a resounding no. Uh, uh, every branch of our federal government continues to take more and more power for itself, and the Constitution gives the power to the people. So uh, no, no, you just explained why it didn't give the power to the people a minute ago. The senators were listed, were elected by state legislatures. That was uh, in the original Constitution, yes. Yes, correct. yes. And there was a constitutional amend, amendment to the Constitution to change that. Yes, and we've been moving toward democracy right along, and I think that's a good thing. Maybe you don't. <laughs> Got you there. Well, you know, uh, times change. Uh, up until up oh, times change. Now we want rule by minority based on gerrymandering. Wonderful. All right, all right. We got to move on to the next caller. Anything else, and, Chris? Well, okay, move on. Then. Uh, all right, thank you so much for calling in. Always, uh, always, always appreciate it. Hold on, Cindy. You're next. Stand by. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing and can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. 
That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. All right, welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the market. We've covered a lot of ground. We've cured all known diseases, fed the poor, fixed the Constitution, decided that Ben Franklin was an atheist, but he certainly seemed to be guided by some kind of spirit and, and even talked about that. Uh, and that leads us to a caller who has waited. Uh, Cindy, you're on the mark. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, you know, Cindy. I, I um, am sympathetic to the people who have suffered flood damage in both Puerto Rico and in Florida, et cetera. I've, it's happened to me. Uh, our country has a, a program of flood insurance, but it's become very costly. Why? Well, because we're replacing, replacing, replacing houses, properties that have been built in flood zones. And it, it seems kind of silly to me, you know, to be repeatedly doing that. And I question whether or not it's really your neighbor's responsibility to make you whole involuntarily through taxation. And I'm especially troubled by the idea that, you know, here, that we're called upon to replace second homes and third homes. Not the same house three times, but the person is of such wealth that this is a summer property or a rental property that they're making money off of. Why would I then be responsible for restoring that to them? I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's appropriate. Here in Pennsylvania, we have a tax rebate program for property taxes but it only applies to your primary residence. You don't get another tax rebate because you own a hunting cabin or a house, you know, along the river or whatever. In those, you only get it for your primary residence. So the first thing that I would do is exclude any property that's not the primary residence of the person from any kind of taxpayer bailout of their loss. I've been to Sanibel Island as a child. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> but really, shouldn't we be questioning the wisdom of replacing all of that? Well, Cindy, I think you make a, I think you make a good point that if it's your primary residence, uh, the place that you live and uh, where you raise your kids and, and whatever, uh, that, that should be a priority. Um, if, it's a, if it's a seasonal home or a rental property, that's a business, and uh, uh, that should be different. One encouraging thing I did see over and over again uh, in Florida was that uh, homes that were built to the new code, uh, which was only uh, put in place in the 1990s, uh, sort of kept the roofs and so forth. So the new code seems to be helping. But uh, you make a good point. Uh, if it's your primary residence and you need it because you live there, if it's a rental property, that's a business. If it's a seasonal and you want to have it, you know, that's not necessary to your survival. Well, the other issue is down here, our good neighbors on the Isle of Q were forced by 
I believe FEMA, but by some federal agency to raise their houses eight feet onto stilts to get assistance to retain their house along the Susquehanna River. So are they going to enforce that against all these properties that have now flooded in Florida? Are they going to make all these homes be raised eight feet or whatever off the ground in order to defend them against the flooding? I can't answer that, but I would assume that FEMA rules are the same throughout the country. So, uh, But I, I, I think that would be something I would have to research further, Cindy. But it right. Well, that would pretty much preclude a lot of the low-income people who were living there aren't going to have the financial capacity to raise their house up off the ground, right? To, unless you, of course, in many cases, it's gone. There is no house. It's right. gone. Right. So then you'd be building new construction. And, and but what is what is the sense of doing that when you when in the uh, the likelihood that it will be wiped off the face of the earth again? Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is a hint, especially from an organization, and I'm talking about the federal government, that keeps harping at us about the shore issues with global uh, climate change. So they they are actually saying we know for a fact that this is going to repeatedly happen then what is the wisdom of replacing those properties? Now, I don't see why we couldn't make these people, I don't think we are obliged to make them whole, as in cover all their losses, but we could certainly provide for them some assistance to get into housing that's not in the floodplain, that's not in a risk zone, and that is of minimal, meets your minimal needs for survival. So the houses, my husband tells me that some of the places around Fort Myers are million-dollar-plus homes. Well, I don't feel obliged to replace that house with another million-dollar house. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for coming in on Thank short you, notice. Joe's scheduled to be in tomorrow, so we'll see. We might put you on standby. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, we definitely appreciate you coming in. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. WKOK News Time. It is 10 o'clock.